Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Welcome to Brave, everyone. Whether this is your first time attending on campus or watching Brave Online, we're glad that you're here. You know, everything that we're about is helping people find and follow Jesus. And none of us have everything figured out. We aren't perfect people. Uh, We're all trying to learn and grow in our knowledge about God and what it means to follow Jesus. So if you're just joining us, we're in a four-part series reading through the book of Jonah. And today we're on chapter 3. Let's go. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This has been called the worst sermon in all of the Bible. There are no illustrations, there are no stories, and nothing about caring for people, nothing. But the result is one of the biggest revivals ever recorded. An entire city, the greatest city in all the world at that time, and the most evil city, all of them repented of their sins. Today we're going to look at one question. What does that tell us about the power of the gospel? I mean, heck, what does this say about preaching? Every week we preach the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been doing this for over 40 years now. And here's what's kind of interesting. Looking back, when I preached some of you know, what I thought were my best messages, like, you know, I thought I went up to the mountain and came down with, you know, some stone tablets and my face was, you know, must have been glowing or something like that. And I'm thinking if this doesn't create a revival, I don't know what will. I get crickets. I get nothing. I mean, no visible response, no comments, no text messages, no hands raised, not even a compliment from my wife. And other times I preached some of what I thought must have been my worst messages. 
You know, like I ate some bad food the night before, I didn't get any sleep, and it's like, God, I, I know you're with me, but please just help me get through this message. It's not going well. And from those sermons that I've seen, some of the, the biggest responses, I've been shocked. Years ago in our church that we started in Lincoln, we met in this large gymnasium on Sundays, but on, on Saturdays, they would rent out for community parties and events. Well, one Sunday as I was preaching on this passage about, you know, Jesus' baptism, I noticed that the people were really with me. I was on a roll. I mean, I told the part about, you know, Jesus coming down into the river, into the water, and I heard everybody go, ah. And I told about how when Jesus was baptized and how just as he's, you know, coming out of the water, the, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the crowd went, ooh. And when I said a voice from heaven said, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody went, wow, and got so excited. And I thought, my preaching is so good today. What I didn't know was there had been a helium balloon left over from Saturday night's party, and it was stuck up way high up in the corner of the gymnasium behind me. I never saw it. Well, as I was preaching, the balloon had begun to descend at an angle right towards me. And when I got to the part of the dove landing on Jesus' shoulder, I kid you not, right at that moment, the balloon was touching down on my shoulder. I had no idea. Then the balloon floats back up to the corner of the gym. What I thought was the power of my preaching and moving the crowd was nothing more than a helium balloon losing air, which is how I felt when I was done. Here's what I've learned, and here's what God showed me again this week as I was reading through Jonah. Even though we believe the Word of God is powerful, we often think it's more about the delivery. Today, as we talk about the power of the gospel, let's begin by clarifying something. What is the gospel? Christian people, followers of Jesus, all love the word gospel. But why? After all these years of preaching, I believe that many of us still struggle to understand or even define it. I think there's just as much confusion inside the church as there is outside when it comes to the true meaning of the gospel. To understand the gospel, we may need to be startled by it, surprised by its true meaning, and even shocked by its power. And one of the best books in the Bible for doing this is Jonah. Because what it shows us is not just that the power of the gospel is to save people's souls, but it, it, it's a continuous power to impact our lives every day forward. You see, the gospel isn't just for non-Christians. It's for Christians too. I used to think that the gospel was just about getting people to cross the line of faith. It was, it was only for that big moment experience. And, and then after that, they were ready to move on into deeper things and deeper theology, kind of like the gospel is the first step in Christianity 101. But you see, the gospel isn't just what ignites the Christian life. It's our fuel for following Jesus every single day of our life. The truth is, once God rescues you, his plan isn't to graduate us from the gospel, but to move us more deeply into it for the rest of our lives. 
After all, the only antidote to sin is the gospel. And the writer of John, he says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sin is a part of our human condition. And since we never stop sinning, and the gospel is the only medicine, we need the gospel every day of our lives. It could be said that all of life's problems stem from our failure to apply the gospel. Jonah's story reveals God's heart and ours. Jonah's story is a presentation of the gospel. It shows us that while we're all great sinners, God is a great Savior, and that no matter how far our sins reach, God's grace reaches even farther. And so today we're going to look at three things the power of the gospel does. Number one, it takes the pressure off the messenger. All God asked Jonah to do was share the message. He didn't tell Jonah how to do it or the best way to deliver it. He was just responsible to give the message. I was a brand new youth pastor, age 19. I couldn't preach well, and I was struggling with my own faith just as much as the other young people were. One night after I finished preaching, I asked if anyone would come up front and pray. Back then, we called the stage the altar. Well, to my surprise, all the youth in the room came forward. I knew it wasn't my preaching. It was one of those nights I, uh, that I mentioned earlier where my delivery just felt off, and I didn't know why so many came forward. And I was still feeling discouraged as I went over to pray for one of the youth. Well, I laid my hand on his shoulder, and I prayed for him. And as I did, I felt nothing when I prayed. It was like having cotton in your mouth. The prayer was so dry. I had no sense of God being anywhere in the room, and no sense of God's presence in my prayer. But when I finished, he turned his face towards me, and literally tears, big tears, were streaming down his face. And he began to share with me that when I touched his shoulder, he felt this warmth of God's presence coming all over him. And that as I prayed, he felt God's love filling his heart. He said, I have never experienced the power of God like that in my life. Hearing how God touched him was such a bold reality check for me. The power of God to make the love of God known is so much bigger than the messenger. It's not about the messenger. The power is in the message. And when you share truth or you pray for someone in Jesus' name, that's powerful. Not because you have the perfect words, the perfect tone, or even the perfect timing. Never underestimate what your simple obedience to God can accomplish if you're willing to share the message. What does the power of the gospel do? Well, number one, it takes the pressure off the messenger, and number two, it speaks to everyone. Timothy Keller says, the gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. Because it's for everyone. For God so loved the world. The apostle John, he said in Revelation, he said, I saw in heaven a huge crowd from every tribe, every language, and every people group standing before the throne praising God. The gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can 
wade into and yet an elephant can swim in. It is both simple enough to tell to a child and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. Christianity is so accepting, so radically accepting. I mean, think about it. What other message on the planet is literally for all people? That's radical acceptance for a religion to offer all its greatest benefits to every person. And the starting point has nothing to do with how well you're currently doing at being a good person, but everything to do with who you receive as your Savior and choose to commit your life to. You see, it's an open invitation, and we all get to choose. Acceptance means I no longer have to perform or qualify for God's love. Jonah didn't show up and, you know, say to Nineveh, you know, God's really impressed with you guys. You're not Jewish, but you, you haven't been sacrificing. But wow, look at the city that you built. All you have to do is repent. No, they were horrible people. They were murderers and rapists and the most selfish people on the planet. They even thought that they were better than everyone else. By God's standard of goodness, they were the worst. But by God's standard of grace, they could all be accepted. The cross of Jesus Christ is a gospel of love and acceptance. It rescues me from the fear of, of not being loved for the mistakes that I've made. You see, we long to be loved. And we fear not being enough. We do. And we fear being rejected. It's part of our human condition. We're not sure that, that we are worthy of love. The gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that while we were yet sinners, still sinning, that he died for us and he defeated death in the grave so that we can have eternal life. To be loved and accepted as we are by Jesus heals us. And as we understand the gospel more deeply each day, no matter how far away you feel you are from God, God will send to you a message of his love and his grace like he is today, which leads to our final point of what the gospel can do. Number three, it can forgive the worst in us. Nineveh was wicked. If you're depending on anything except God to make your life worth living, then your sin is becoming smaller which means your need for God's grace is becoming smaller too. Whatever your heart holds on to in order to feel good or secure about your life is a big deal. And God's grace is so expansive that it tracks down both kinds of people who run from God. Those who try to rescue themselves by being good enough. These are the rule keepers. We all know them, have them in our lives and our family. And those who, are, who try to rescue themselves by breaking all the rules, and those are the rule breakers. Both paths lead to a slavery of guilt and shame. God's grace is the only cure to guilt and shame. Martin Luther, he put it best uh, when he was describing his condition as a Christian. He said, I am simultaneously justified and sinful. While I am, yes, saved from sin's penalty, I am in daily need of salvation from sin's power. Romans says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone 
who believes. This means every day, whether you're the one who is preaching the gospel, the one who's been walking with God for most of your life, or the worst sinner, we all need the gospel every day. You know, in my spiritual roots, we would hear a statement like that and immediately try to act better, be more holy, and try harder. That's what we would do. Take it from someone who's been walking with Jesus since age eight. The answer isn't to try harder at being a Christian. It's to understand more fully what you've already been given. To learn how to accept the work Christ has already done on the cross. To learn to be more aware of God's grace every day. You cannot become more godly simply by trying harder. The key to spiritual renewal and revival is not you working harder at being more spiritual. You know, a lot of preaching sends a message that in order to get God's favor, well, you need to pray more, read more, give more, and serve more. And if you don't, you have less favor, or you're not as mature, or you're just not doing it right. The power of the gospel has nothing to do with that. You see, religion says you must always do more to please God. Religion says the burden is on you and that you're never enough, that you've got to do more and you've got to be more. The power of the gospel is that Jesus saves you. I want to tell you about uh, a friend of mine, our family, uh, met through learning karate many years ago. He was our sensei. We were new to the city, and we just moved there to start a brand new church. And years ago, when I was taking karate, you know, my body was a red, you know, I was registered with the police department, but now my body is just a registered organ donor. But Tracy and I loved our new sensei, and we wanted him to know Jesus. And so she used to invite him over. He was a single guy, invite him over for dinner, and then she would leave after serving us dinner, and then it was just me and my sensei hanging out. Well, we grew close. Uh, he even bought me this super high-quality gi as a gift. I think it was just to bribe me to get me to the dojo. As our friendship grew, he taught me the ways of karate. And so one evening, I was, he was telling me about the way, the, the philosophy of karate. And the way is about good character and personal discipline. And I told my sensei, you know, in Jesus' day, those who had become followers of Jesus and his movement were called the way. And I asked if I could share the teaching of the gospel or the way with him. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, imagine this large, deep canyon, and we or us are standing on one side of the cliff, and God is on the other side of the cliff. Our sins separate us from a holy and perfect God. The scriptures teach that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so God wanted to make a way for everyone to come to him. But we all have sin. And we not only do we not, not only do we not live up to God's standards, I don't know about you, but I don't live up to my own standards. We're all aware that we could do better and be better. I mean, no one is perfect and no one is sinless. Even the best people we know of in history, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, even those two people weren't perfect and they were not sinless. So we've all tried to jump the canyon in our own strength to get to God. The world's long jump record is a little over 29 feet. 
And it's just not enough to get across a canyon of sin. And in Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even Mother Teresa and Billy Graham can't jump far enough without falling short. So a loving God sent his son Jesus to do what no human being could do. Jesus lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He paid the price for all our sins, past, present, and future. And the cross that he died on, well, it created our bridge to God. So I asked my sensei that night, where do you see yourself in this picture? And he said, you know what, to be honest, I'm not here. I'm not the person standing on the cliff at all trying to get to God right now in my life. I'm in a little cabin way up here in the left-hand corner. He wasn't ready to place his trust in Jesus that night. He was honest and sincere about where he really was. That's what I love about Brave Church is that anyone can come here and be accepted wherever you see yourself in this picture. That conversation with my sensei was 24 years ago. Well, five years ago, 19 years later, after we moved here to the Bay Area, I bumped into my old sensei at Target in San Ramon. Can you believe that? He started coming to Brave Church. He received the gospel. He's a follower of Jesus, and he's been serving as the head of our security team here at Brave for the last four years. The gospel is about receiving what Christ has already done by placing my faith in God's love and receiving his grace. You see, I will never be able to do enough to overcome my sin. The power of the gospel is the gospel saves me just as I am. Some of you came to Christ a month ago. Others have been Christians for a long time. And whether you see yourself as struggling in sin or, or made strong by grace, God loves you as you are. And the power of the gospel is for you. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To love oneself, to receive the gospel, is a profound act of faith. Because if you're honest like the people of Nineveh, there's nothing in your life that is deserving of that kind of undeserved love and grace that God offers us. To believe that Christ died for me while I was sinning and that he still loves me on my worst days is an act of faith. The good news is he loves me so much that he doesn't leave me where he found me. And as I learn to, to follow Jesus and start to look for him more, that's the power of the gospel. What does all this have to do with Jonah? Jesus said this in Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was buried into a tomb, and on the third day, after overcoming the wages of sin and death, he rose from the grave. Jonah was swallowed by a fish and vomited up three days later. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would go through that we might find our way. 
Now your life and my life can be resurrected by the power of the gospel. When I repent like Nineveh, God forgives the worst in me. So where are you? Are you on one side of the cliff far from God? Or maybe you're like where my friend was many years ago, very far from that cliff. Are you the one striving to jump far enough, be good enough to make it across a canyon you'll never get across? Or are you a follower of Jesus that's learning that I cannot experience more of God's grace by trying harder? Your goal this week is to rest in what Jesus has already done for you. Or maybe you see the gospel today and you're ready to receive the power of the gospel in your life. Can I pray with you right now? Father in heaven, I pray for those that are seeing the gospel. I pray for those that would like to place their heart and their life in your hands and trust you as their Lord and Savior. Would you forgive us of all of our sins, Lord God, all of our failures, Lord Jesus? And Lord, would you come into our hearts and fill our lives afresh with the gospel of Jesus Christ? that as we trust in you as our Lord and Savior, you forgive us and you resurrect us and you give us this free gift of eternal life. And Lord, I also pray for those that have been following you that still find it so hard to believe what grace really is and that it is amazing. I pray that we would find rest in our souls this week. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.